Beginning today, we're going to take a short break from our studies in John's Gospel and turn our attention to a popular Old Testament book. We're getting to one of my favorite parts in the Gospel of John, beginning in chapter 13, that upper room discourse. And I don't want to wear you out before we get to it. So, besides that, I would like to take a few Sundays here just after we've begun a new year and sort of set the tone for the year in our church. Last year, if some of you remember, just before everything shut down, we spent six Sundays considering the life of Daniel. And my goal in that series was to remind you that this world is not our home. Can somebody say amen? Amen. There's a future kingdom that's coming that'll obliterate all the kingdoms of this world and replace them. And... I wanted to remind you that in every stage of life and in every circumstance on earth, our calling is simply to remain faithful. And looking back on how 2020 unfolded, I'm glad that the Lord gave us the opportunity to have those sermons before things went crazy. We needed those reminders. This world is not our home. A better kingdom is coming. And until then... Let's be faithful. So, as we're now a couple of weeks into 2021, turn with me to the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah. And when we think of the book of Jonah, one major event comes to nearly everyone's minds. You walk up to anyone who's ever been to Sunday school at any point in their life and say, What happened to Jonah? Most everyone would say, He was what? Swallowed by a whale. Now it's for that reason that many have written the book off as just a fairy tale. A work of fiction. Some of you are in college or in high school and getting ready to go to college. And if you said to some of your professors that you believed that the book of Jonah was a true historical record something that actually happened, you would be laughed at. You see, the biblical record that a prophet named Jonah was swallowed by a great fish and survived is popularly rejected simply because of a refusal to believe in the miraculous. If it can't be explained by science, then it's impossible. That's a starting point in the logic of many people. It's a preconceived idea that doesn't allow anything else to be possible in their own minds. The logic goes like this. I don't believe that it could have happened, therefore it didn't happen. That makes good sense, doesn't it? (laughs) It's a foolish way of thinking from that perspective. But personally, I don't worry much about what secular scholars think about Jonah and the fish because they don't believe that God created the fish in the first place. Because if God spoke and everything came into existence and He created the fish, why couldn't He tell the fish, go swallow Jonah and spit him out in three days? 
But it isn't just secular scholars that have a problem with Jonah and the fish. Unfortunately, and these are the people I really have more of a problem with, there are some professing Christians who have adopted the same mentality. I used to work with a man who said that it would have been impossible for this to happen, so Jonah had to be just an allegory. It was a made-up story to teach us something about God. Specifically, he said about the power of God, and I thought, well, the actual story would demonstrate the power of God more than a made-up story would. My question to him was this, and my question to you, if you have that same way of thinking, is this. If you can't believe that God caused a fish to swallow Jonah and spit him out, how can you believe that God raised Jesus from the dead? And if God didn't raise Jesus from the dead, then Jesus isn't, isn't who He said He was, and you are still dead in your sins. You see, it, it really makes a lot of difference whether you believe that the book of Jonah is true. Because if you have a Christ who has not been raised, and you have no payment for your sins, you are under God's judgment. You say, well, yeah, of course God raised Jesus from the dead, but that, that Old Testament stuff, it's just, it's just there to help us, to teach us something. Well, it's inconsistent, isn't it, at the least, and illogical. To say that God has the power to raise Jesus from the dead, but He couldn't have told a fish to swallow a prophet. You either believe God's Word or you don't. You can't pick and choose what is true and what isn't. But that's not really the point of the book, is it? <laughs> the fish isn't the only character. In fact, he or she isn't even the main character. There's the fish, sure, but there's also Jonah. There's the Ninevites. There's a worm. There are other significant characters in the book. There's the sailors. But none of them is the main character either. The main character in the book of Jonah is the one who speaks the first words in chapter 1 and the last words at the end of the book in chapter 4. The main character of the book of Jonah is God. Yahweh, the Lord. He has something that He wants to teach Jonah. And by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, He made sure it was written down because evidently He has something He would like to teach us. So let's dig in. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, Go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down, he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord." 
Now this story is a familiar story, and so it's easy to just read those words and really read these four chapters and to say, okay, yeah, I know that, and move on. But the book of Jonah is not an isolated story that has no connection to the rest of the Old Testament or to the historical events, things that were happening in Jonah's day. Jonah prophesied during the days of King Jeroboam II in the northern kingdom of Israel. His ministry took place after the ministries of those great prophets, Elijah and Elisha. In fact, it's very possible that Jonah was a student of Elisha, the school of the prophets, along with other prophets of his day. We could speculate, from what we know of Jonah, that he was a a more popular prophet than some of his contemporaries. You know names like Hosea and Amos. Those were men who prophesied around the same time as Jonah. And the prophecies we have recorded from Hosea and Amos were prophecies of judgment for Israel. They preached that Israel was being stubborn towards God. That they were going to fall under the judgment of God. That they were going to be carried off into exile by a Gentile nation. And Hosea specifically named Assyria as that empire that would carry them off into captivity. Simply because they would not repent of their sins. Jonah, on the other hand, the, the one prophecy we have of his outside of this book... In 2 Kings chapter 14 is that Israel would actually recover some of the land that Assyria had taken from them. And they did. That prophecy came true. 2 Kings 14 verse 25 says, He, that is Jeroboam, restored the territory of Israel from the entrance of Hamath to the Sea of the Arabah, according to the word of the Lord God of Israel, which he had spoken through his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath-hefer. So the one prophecy we have recorded of Jonah was actually not one of judgment, but that they would get some land back. And they got it. So Jonah, he's established as a prophet. He has spoken the word of the Lord. It has come to pass. He's proven himself to be a true man of God. He's learned probably from the great prophet Elijah. He proclaimed a positive message to Israel. It came to pass just as he said. People probably really like Jonah. I'm sure he had a good life. But God is constantly shaping His people, isn't He? God's people are on a journey in life. The things we face today are simply to prepare us for the things we'll face tomorrow. A victory today is usually preparation for another battle later on. If you belong to God, your whole life is this process of God purifying you, making you holy, ridding you of sins, and those things that hold you back in your walk with Him. For Christians today, we have the words of Paul in Romans chapter 8, that all things work together for good because He is conforming us to the image of His Son. The good that God is working everything in your life towards is the good of being made more like Jesus. So, for Jonah, he had his prophetic heritage. He had his success stories of the prophecies that had been fulfilled by God. 
But God isn't finished with Jonah yet. Perhaps he's older. Maybe he's at a later stage in life when this book is written. But God isn't finished. The Bible tells us in verse 1 that the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Now that doesn't strike us nearly as much as it should. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. That didn't happen to just anybody. Jonah didn't exactly have a pocket New Testament that he carried around. The only written scriptures that Jonah had was the Pentateuch, right? Those five books written by Moses. And if God had anything else to say to His people, He spoke it through a prophet. What a privilege to be the one through whom God spoke to His people. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. This is what he said, verse 2. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Arise, go. Okay, so this involves a trip. Pack your bags, Jonah. Go where? Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. What do we know about Nineveh? If you watch VeggieTales, they slap people in the face with fishes, right? They cleaned it up real good, let me tell you. You couldn't put what these people actually did in a kid's movie. We actually know quite a bit. Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. You know, that empire that keeps attacking Israel and taking their land. That empire whom Hosea said would eventually capture Israel and carry the Israelites off into exile. Nineveh is that capital city. The Assyrians were known for their cruelty that they showed to those whom they conquered. They were proud of it. They saw their cruelty as a sort of deterrent for anyone who would oppose them. They slaughtered their enemies, beheaded them, burned them, flayed them. They would skin them alive, mutilate their bodies, dismember them. But they would leave the right arm intact so that they could shake their enemy's hand while they watched them die. One Assyrian king boasted of rearing a, a pyramid of heads in front of his enemy's gates. There are other things that they did that simply I won't talk about in front of you because some of you have your children in the room and I wouldn't feel comfortable doing that. They were a gruesome and cruel people and they were proud of it. But they were arrogant too. One king said, I am the great king, the mighty king, king of the universe, king of Assyria. The great gods magnified my name. They made my rule powerful. Another king said, I am powerful. I am all powerful. I am a hero. I am gigantic. I am colossal. I am honored. I am magnified. I am without equal among all the kings. I am the chosen one of the gods. Thought of a lot of himself, didn't he? A lovely bunch of people, really. That's what Nineveh was like. Now with that in mind, hear what God commanded Jonah. Again, God commanded two things. Arise, go to Nineveh. Um, 
no thanks. <laughs> I don't even like to go to Winston-Salem, if I'm being honest. <laughs> Preaching aside, it wouldn't have been safe for Jonah to even visit Nineveh. Look at the verse. God never promised Jonah safety. He just said, arise, go. And even if he was sure that he would be safe, why would he even want to be around this kind of people? They were wicked. Arise, go to Nineveh. But that's not all. What was the second thing God commanded? And cry out against it. Okay, God, so you don't just want me to go to the city where all the sinful, wicked pagans live. You want me to go tell them what sinful, wicked pagans they are. That could not have been an easy pill for Jonah to swallow. Go to the people who decapitate, dismember, flay, and burn their enemies and tell them that God is going to judge them. Why on earth would God tell Jonah to do such an incredible thing? To us, it looks like a suicide mission. Why would God command Jonah, his own prophet, to risk his life to tell evil people that they're going to be judged by God? Because they need to hear it. The judgment of God is not a popular message to preach, is it? But it's a necessary one. It's only cruel to tell someone that they're going to be judged by God if it isn't true. What if I went to the doctor? He did a scan on me. He found that I had cancer. Now imagine him saying, you know, I know Jacob really well. I wouldn't want to do anything that would upset him. If I tell him he has cancer, it could devastate him. It would be hard on his family. Think about his church, his kids, his friends. They would be sad. I really just wouldn't want them to have to experience anything like that. And then he walks into the room with a smile on his face and tells me that everything's okay, that I'm in perfect health. I might leave the doctor feeling okay, but really that's a cruel thing to do. Which is cruel, telling me the truth or keeping me from getting upset and withholding the truth? Friend, if it's true that all have sinned and offended our holy and righteous Creator and that one day everyone will stand before Him to be judged, it would be cruel to withhold that truth. It is true. Your relative who is lost, your co-worker who is living in sin, your child who only has a nominal faith, they will all stand before God and be judged. It is cruel for you to, for you to let them go on living thinking that everything is okay. Tell them the truth. That's what Jonah did, right? God said, arise, go, and Jonah got up and went, didn't he? Well, he got up and went, all right, but not the way he should have. Verse 3, God has said, Arise, go to Nineveh. And verse 3 says, But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish 
from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare. He went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. From Jonah, Nineveh was northeast, so he decided to go west. <laughs> he headed as far west as he could possibly go. He got on a boat and headed for Tarshish. That's probably southern Spain, roughly 2,500 miles away from where Jonah was. This was before Columbus sailed the ocean blue, so as far as their maps were concerned, he was literally going to the edge of the earth to get away from Nineveh. Jonah wanted to get away as far from Nineveh as he possibly could, but he's not just running from Nineveh, is he? It's reinforced twice in verse 3 that Jonah is running not just from Nineveh, but from the presence of the Lord. Does Jonah think that God is confined to the nation of Israel and that if he can just get away from Israel, he can get away from God? Some scholars think that that's what Jonah was doing. Maybe he was. I like to think Jonah had a little more sense about him than that. I think he had a better theology than to think that God was not omnipresent. I think that in running away, Jonah knew that God would still be there. But he intended to get as far away as he could from the people of God, those who saw him as God's servant. He intended to get away from the calling of God, that special calling that God had placed on his life to be a prophet, to be his spokesperson in the world. And he intended to run away from the will of God. He simply did not want to go to Nineveh. Jonah ran from the presence of the Lord. That's as far as we'll go into the text this week. These three verses set the stage for the rest of the story. But let me share with you some things that I think we need to learn as God's people, some lessons I think we can take from Jonah. Number one, the Word of God has come to us. Hebrews 1 says that God who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, you know, men like Jonah, He has in these last days spoken to us by whom? By His Son. God isn't speaking through prophets like He used to. Everything He wanted to say has come already through His Son, Jesus Christ. His words, His teachings have been written down for us in a book. We have the Bible. And what is it that Jesus commanded His disciples to do just before He ascended into heaven? He said in Matthew 28, All authority has been given to Me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. 
Friends, God's Word has come to us. We have been commanded to make disciples of all the nations. Do you know where that starts for you? Pilot Mountain, Westfield, Pinnacle, Mount Airy. That's where our mission to reach the nations begins. Right here at home. We must be about the work of warning people about the judgment that is to come and of proclaiming the good news that Jesus Christ died to save sinners. God's Word has come to us. Number two, another lesson we can learn, there's always a reason not to go. For Jonah, the reasons seemed obvious. The Assyrians were enemies of his home country. They were cruel. He wouldn't be safe. He might not survive. They probably wouldn't listen to him anyway. For us, the reasons that we come up with might seem equally obvious. I might offend them. I'm afraid I won't know what to say. They might think I'm a religious nut. They might call HR. There will always be a reason not to do it. It'll always be easy to get out of it. Just think about how convenient it must have been for Jonah. Oh look, I'm trying to get away from Nineveh and there just happens to be a ship headed in the opposite direction. Oh look, I just happen to be on time for its departure. Oh look, I just happen to have enough money to buy the ticket. It must be God's will for me to go. That sounds ridiculous, but we think that way, don't we? Well, the circumstances were right, so God must have been okay with it. I heard someone say this week that if you're looking to run from what God wants you to do, the devil will be more than happy to arrange the transportation. When it comes to sharing the gospel and making disciples, there will always be a reason not to do it. And there will always be an easy way out of it. Will you be faithful anyway? A third lesson. Disobedience always costs you something. Verse 3 says that Jonah went down to Joppa, found a ship headed to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went down into it. The ticket out of Joppa wasn't free. And your ticket out of doing what God has called you to do isn't either. I love this church. I know you do too. Many of you have been here your entire life. You want me to tell you how you can make sure that this church withers up and dies? Don't do exactly what Jesus commanded us to do. You want me to tell you how you can keep your own spiritual life from growing and thriving? Don't do exactly what Jesus called you to do. Don't share the gospel. Don't make disciples. Don't teach others the Word of God. Obedience is rarely convenient. There's usually an easy way out of it, but if we don't do what God has commanded us to do, your own spiritual life 
and the life of your church will suffer for it. Number four, the last lesson I think we can learn from Jonah today is that God's presence is inescapable. Maybe I could say it this way. You can run, but you can't hide. Jonah was a true prophet of God, and God was not going to let him off that easily. (laughs) God pursues his own like the shepherd who goes after the lost sheep. Jonah might be disobeying God's will, but there's a fish somewhere beneath him that won't disobey. Jonah might be rebelling against God, but the sea upon which he sails and the winds that push the boat will do exactly what God commands. God will get Jonah's attention. He will not be able to escape. If you're a child of God, if you've truly been born again, Hebrews 12 says that whom the Lord loves, He chastens or He disciplines. God will come after His own. And as scary as that might seem, it's a wonderful thing. It is a gracious gift of God that He does not just let us run off. He doesn't allow us to wander in disobedience forever. You cannot hide from the presence of the Lord. If you belong to Him, He will draw you back to Himself. And if you lean on Him, you depend on Him for strength, He will give you the grace and the strength to do all that He commands you to do. Let's be an obedient people who run into the will of God and not away from the will of God. I look forward to studying the rest of this book with you. I really wanted to give you a good introduction today draw some lessons that I think we can learn. I think it'll help us. Because you see, it's not just another fish story. This is the Word of God. Stand with me. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank You for Your Word. Thank You that we can trust and be confident that it is true. That it is alive, it is powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It cuts us deeply, digs down into our innermost being, and reveals what is true. God, I pray that as we go on in this study of the book of Jonah, that you would teach us that You would give us a desire to be faithful and obedient servants. That we would be bold to preach the gospel and make disciples, starting right here in our own area, our own community, and reaching out into the ends of the earth. Lord, may we never try to escape Your presence, but run into it knowing that's where we find comfort and peace and everlasting joy. 
Thank You for Jesus who died to save us. I pray that if anyone here doesn't know You, that they would put their trust in Jesus Christ today. And it's in His name I pray. Amen.